then open up to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we'll start here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. As we continue a study, uh, the series is a study of God. It's called Theology 101, and today what we're actually going to look at is the Trinity. We're going to take a few weeks and just study God. You know, just study who he is uh, after we go through the series. Then we'll get back into a book and continue our journey through the Bible. But uh, here in Acts chapter 2, uh, a very familiar verse for us. It says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Um, that's what we're going through now in the systematic theology uh, and the study of God. We're, we're kind of, you know, tackling something that maybe from the pulpit we don't do. Usually this is kind of stuff that you go over and you read a book or maybe you study in Bible college. But, you know, it's really appropriate. The, the Bible says, Acts 2.42, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You see, doctrine is very important. As a matter of fact, if you would, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 in the pastoral epistles. Uh, Paul mentions this many times. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Bible mentions doctrine, the word doctrine, 44 times. It's very important that we are established in our doctrine. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says in verse 6, as Paul is writing to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So Paul was telling Timothy, man, man teach them doctrine. If you do that, you'll be a faithful minister. And if you do that, then they will nourish the people. As a matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy to follow these doctrines carefully if you go over to verse 13 of the same chapter, he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You go back down to verse 16, the same chapter. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You know, whatever you do, don't underestimate doctrine. Uh, and the way that we form doctrines is what's called systematic theology, where we take the full counsel of the Word of God and we learn about salvation. We learn about pneumatology and soteriology. And, you know, today we're going to study theology, the, the study of God. Because, believe it or not, to be rooted and grounded in doctrines, the basic Bible doctrines, is actually a safety net. Because one day the JWs, they come knocking at your door, and if you don't have answers, if they're not there ready for you to pull up because you really study these things, then you might be turned into a theological pretzel. <laughs> they might take you out. It says right there, if you continue in these things, you're going to save yourself and those who hear you. That's why it's so important that we have the doctrine in our heart, especially you know, the doctrine of God. You know, I don't know about you, but lately uh, uh, the Lord has really been ministering to me that to lift up my eyes, you know, to take my eyes off myself, off my flaws, my failures, my sins and even my wins to take my eyes off myself and my situations, because when you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed, right? <laughs> you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. 
But if you look at God, you're going to be blessed. We have to take our eyes off ourselves and our problems. We must, as God's people, lift our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember, we've been talking about that. Psalm 25, 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. All the things that you're facing, if you just continue to focus on them, you're not going to win. You're not going to go through with joy. That's why we have to fix our eyes on the Lord. And so we're just studying about God. And I hope and pray that you guys are blessed. I know that I have been totally blessed. It's been life-changing for me. It really has. It's been life-changing to me to stop worrying so much about my performance and whether or not I'm being a perfect man or not. Of course, I want to be a godly man. Of course, I want to be a godly husband and dad and minister and everything else, son, friend, you know, everything in life. But I know and I've realized now that that's not going to happen if I focus on myself. It'll only happen if I... Focus on the Lord. I mean, his love is there for all to see. It's on display, his glory. And I think when we begin to really see God and discover God, he changes our life. It's so cool. Today we get to study the important doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. You know, it's a a mystery in many Ways It's been said about the Trinity that if you try to explain or comprehend it, you might lose your mind. (laughs) But if you try to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. You know, the Trinity is not an optional element of Christianity. It's an essential of the faith. You must believe in the Trinity if you want to make it to heaven. And that's why it's crazy when you see books like people like T.D. Jakes in Christian bookstores. He's a man who denies the Trinity. And it's crazy. It's sad to see the heresy even in Christian bookstores. You know, the Trinity is so important. If you want to be a Christian who holds to Christianity, please understand you must believe in the Trinity. You know, last week we talked about the existence and revelation of God. And we saw that the only reason we know anything about God is because he's chosen to reveal himself to us. We talked about general revelation and special revelation. And general revelation is creation and conscience. And special revelation is the living word and the written word. And the written word is primarily the pages of Scripture. Now, some people don't like the Trinity. They complain that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But even though the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible, the teaching of the Trinity definitely is. And please remember this. Just because we, as these itty-bitty creatures, can't comprehend the Trinity and the nature and essence of God, it doesn't mean that can't be who And how he said he is. You know, I look at it this way. As we begin to tackle the Trinity, as we try our best to understand it, you know, um, it's kind of like an an ant, I always say, trying to comprehend calculus, you know. I mean, you try to teach an ant calculus, and even if you could probably speak his language, which is kind of another issue, you know, I doubt it if he's going to be able to understand the complexities, not only of calculus, but even of who we are. You see, it's not going to happen. The Trinity in one sense, and it's okay. It's a mystery, huh? It's a mystery beyond me, but like I said, it kind of makes sense because as a mere man, I don't expect to fully comprehend the almighty 
You know, at the same time, as we study together today, we're going to see that there are certain aspects of God that he's made clear about himself and his word. And those are the things that we want to touch on today. And so when we look at God, we've already seen his existence and his uh, revelation. Now we have the Bible speaking to us. And what does the Bible say about God? What is proper theology? Well, number one, there is one God, one God. As a matter of fact, if you would go over to First Timothy, since we're here, and just go back a couple of pages to chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we touched a little bit on this last time we got together. Um, we don't believe in polytheism, even though 25% of the world does. We don't believe that there are many gods. We believe as Christians that there is only one God. We are not polytheists. We are monotheists. And here in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says there is one God. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? See, there's only one God. Romans 3, verse 10, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And so when you study the Bible, you see the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. As a matter of fact, most of you probably know that this truth was foundational to the Jews. You know, they were raised in a culture and a society in a time where everybody believed in plurality of gods. And then all of a sudden there was a new revelation. It came, you know, and it began, you know, through the lineage of Abraham and descended down through his children. And they were taught by God and then revealed, you know, explicitly to Moses that there was one God. And that was a radical, a radical concept in those days. For us, I think maybe we take it for granted, but, you know, we need to understand the, the complexity of this. And that's why in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, you know, it's called the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, there's only one God, 1 Timothy 2.5, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, Romans 3.30. And even in your handout, you'll see many other verses where the Bible repeatedly tells us that there's only one God. And in the very heart and soul of the Jewish faith, they would teach their kids when they were just, you know, little ones. Here, Miho, I want you to learn this. And they would have to memorize it. It was called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. It means hear, hear this, know this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, one God, you see. And that was something that was etched within their hearts. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 29, Jesus called this the very first commandment of all the commandments. He said it's the first one. Very, very vital as believers. There's only one God. Now, one thing, if you were taking notes, just as a side note that you might want to, you know, maybe uh, just uh, remember is the one God there mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four is an interesting word. The word one is the word ikad. 
Now, he could have used a different word in the Hebrew language, which it would speak explicitly of one. But this is the, a word that means the plurality of one, the compound unity, the united one. It's the same one used for a man and a woman when they get together and they're made one. It's the same word used in the Hebrew Bible for like one cluster of grapes. Um, and that's an interesting thing. So we're going to see there's a mystery here. God is one, but there is a plurality of one, But it's important for us to know that. Isaiah 44, 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Just in case you have a Mormon friend, they don't believe that. The Mormons believe there are a gazillion gods, just as there are a gazillion planets. The Mormons believe that when they die, they can become a god. And yet Isaiah 44, 6 says, besides me, there is no other God. You see, we as Christians, we're monotheistic. We believe in only one God. But here's the thing. We believe that he has revealed himself to us in three persons. And so for one, let's go over to Second Peter, if you would, chapter 1. Second Peter Page 1643. <laughs> it's over to the right, more towards the end of the scriptures. Second Peter 1.17. It says, uh, speaking of the witnesses of the majesty of Jesus Christ, it says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Here we see in verse 17 that the Father is called God, is God the Father. Now, that one I think we're more familiar with. This one, pretty much no one questions whether or not the Father is God. Uh, God the Father, just as a side note, that phrase is found 16 times in the Bible. And so one thing we know for sure, there's one God. Now, within that Godhead, we know for sure the Father is God. I don't think anyone really questions that. But we move on now to the second aspect, and that is that the Son is God as well. I mean, there's many, many verses we could turn to. If you want, we can start over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so you're like, okay, wait a minute, Manny. <laughs> the Bible says there's only one God. Uh, Sixteen times the Bible calls the Father God explicitly God the Father. Now you're saying in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That's meaning Jesus. <laughs> and so in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Now in the Greek language, the emphasis is on that last word, theos. And so it should say, and the word was God. That's the way you should read it. You know how you guys, sometimes when you're writing things down, you're you know typing things out and you can put an emphasis on a certain word. Maybe you put bold or underline or highlighted or whatever. In the Greek language, you can do that with the prefixes and suffixes. And that's why there in the Greek language, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's the way it's supposed to be read because the Gospel of John presents Jesus as 
God, right? We know that Matthew presents him as king of the Jews. Mark presents him as a slave. Luke presents him as a man to the Greeks. And John presents him as God writing to the world. Even later on in John chapter 20, it's pretty clear when Thomas uh, is confronted with this truth. It says in John chapter 20, verse 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, to who? Jesus, my Lord and my God. You see, it's very explicit within the pages of Scripture. If you want to write down a couple of other verses, Romans 9, verse 5, speaking of Jesus, it says, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God in the flesh. See, the Bible explicitly calls the Father God. It calls Jesus God. In Titus 2.13, it says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek languages, we're in the Greek language, God and Savior are one. And so it's in referring there to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a while back I had a friend. He was a Jehovah Witness because Jehovah Witness denies the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny whether or not Jesus is God. And I gave him this verse right here. And, you know, it doesn't work. There's not like a magical verse. I wish I could give you a cookie cutter approach and say, hey, this is how you approach them with this truth. You give this this verse and you win every time. You know, it's got to be the Lord working in them, revealing things to them. But, um, you know, I, I gave him this verse right here. And, and man, the Lord used it. He actually, you know, got saved. He actually changed his faith and and became a Christian and a strong advocate for the doctrine of the Trinity. You see, God didn't just, you know, make some, you know, little boy and send him down and killed him on a cross. That's what the Jehovah Witness believe. You know, Michael the Archangel, something that God made his first creation. No, God came down himself. God came. As a matter of fact, another real strong verse is over in the book of Acts chapter 20. If you want to turn there, Acts chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I always tell my Jehovah's Witness friends, well, whose blood was it? Jesus or the Father's, you know? And if they say the Father, they're in big trouble. Man, you mean to tell me the Father came down and died on the cross? No, Jesus did. It was His blood. It was the Son's blood that was spilt for us. God purchased the church with His own blood. And what you find in the Scriptures is that the Father is God Jesus is God. Over in Hebrews 1, verse 8, it says, But to the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. Now, what the JWs do is they say, Okay, okay, we'll make Him a God, but we'll make Him a little God. (laughs) And so if you read John chapter 1, verse 1, they say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. (laughs) They put a little article in there that doesn't belong But we already established the fact that there's only one God. So how can there be a big God and a little God? (laughs) No such thing, you see. We're 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 just we're diving into this doctrine of the Trinity that is a 
a mystery. We know that the Father's God. We know that the Son is God. And then over in the book of Acts chapter 5, we see that the Spirit is God. It says in verse 1 of Acts 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Who did Peter say they lied to? The Holy Spirit, right? That's what he says there in verse 2. But verse 3 says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. He said you lied to the Spirit there in verse 3. And then he says you lied to God there in verse 5. You see, what we find when we study the Bible is that the Father is God, the Son is God, and, and the Spirit is God. And yet there's only one God. It's kind of an interesting thing. On Thursday nights, we've been studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we've kind of you know reiterated over and over again that the Spirit is not some force or it. The Spirit is a person. He And we're learning these things, and it's a very awesome mystery, the Trinity. The Spirit is God. As a matter of fact, the phrase Spirit of God is found 26 times in the Bible. And so you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How many of you here were Catholic when you were growing up, just out of curiosity? Do you remember the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We used to do that to cast a spell against any demonic, you know, thing coming our way. And you know what? Although I wouldn't do that, I don't think that's necessary. One thing I do admit is that the Catholics really emphasize this with their kids, and Christians a lot of times don't. You know, we don't talk a lot about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being God. You know, sometimes we pray. I mean, it's cool to pray in Jesus' name, but remember there, when Jesus was teaching, it wasn't a magic formula that you put at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Although I do it, you know, it's okay to pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You were baptized, if you were baptized by this church, or, you know, a right-on church, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarians. We have to make sure that we don't forget that. You know, when you read the Bible, you see that all three are equal in essence and nature. And also all three are distinct persons. You know, they're equal in essence and nature. Kind of like a a man and a woman. They're equal in essence and nature, right? Although the husband does have headship over his wife, they're equal in essence and nature. And that's the way it is within the Godhead. Equal in essence and nature, they've always been, they've always existed. They're made of the same substance. That's what the Trinity is. But there is an order even within the Godhead. And what you see is that the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. Although they're all God, equal in essence and nature, they're not in office and function. Office and function. And that's why you see the Lord Jesus Christ praying, not my will, But thy will be done, Father. It's an amazing thing when you look at it. But when you read the Bible, you see the three working in harmony. 
As a matter of fact, let's look at a few verses that mention all three of them working because uh, a lot of times people don't acknowledge the fact that, yeah, you know what, there, there are three. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and they were having this conversation in verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. And there you see all three members of the Godhead. How huh? you see the Holy Spirit. It says right there coming upon her, the power of the highest. That's the father overshadowing her and the holy one. That's Jesus. He is the Son of God. We see it at Jesus' conception. They're working there. We see it at Jesus' baptism. If you would go back to Matthew chapter 3. In verse 16 it says, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, you see the three members of the Godhead. You see Jesus being baptized. You see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And you hear the voice of the Father. This is my Son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. I, I love him. You see Jesus there. You see the Trinity working at the conception of Jesus, at the baptism of Jesus. You see it in the prayer of Jesus. If you go over to John chapter 14, the prayer and, and promise of Jesus. In John chapter 14, notice what it says in verse 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. You see, there you see Jesus praying to the Father so that they would give the Helper who would abide with us forever. We see it even over in the Great Commission. If you want to go back to Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19. Verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that, the Great Commission. Unfortunately, it's become the great omission where we don't go out and we're not making disciples and we're not baptizing people in the name. Notice it's a singular. It doesn't say names. It says name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's not just baptizing. That's not just when you dunk people, okay, in the water. It's talking about our life as Christians and being in it. You know, and for us, I think it's cool to know that we have a Father, to know that we have a brother, and to know that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, to know that all three are working in our life, just like they were working in Jesus' life at His conception and His baptism, as He's praying for the church, as He's sending us out on the Great Commission. You know, it's really important to know that you were cherished and chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. That you were redeemed by the Son 
there on the cross of Calvary and that you were saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit on the day that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's no competition in the Godhead. It's not like the Father gets mad when all you talk about is Jesus. I think he's okay with that. First Timothy 2.5, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is what saves. Don't ever stop speaking the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when I do the city council prayer meetings, you know, they say you can't pray in the name of Jesus. And so some people get around it by saying in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not enough for me. When I pray there, I don't care if they tell me no. I say in the name of Jesus. I pray because I know there's power in his name. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name that brings salvation. When you read the book of Acts, they preach the name of Jesus. And so we have to make sure that we are bold in speaking the name of Jesus. Not just a generic God, but Jesus. But understand that there is a Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're all worthy of our adoration. And the more you get to know God and who He is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I believe the healthier we will be as Christians. You see, it's important to know the way that they work in our life. I remember a long time ago, I heard a study by Tony Evans, uh, African-American guy, really passionate. I love this guy. And I remember, man, he said, you know, the way it works is like this. He said, it's like a movie. It's like a missionary movie. And he said, the Father is the executive producer. The Holy Spirit is the director. And Jesus Christ is a superstar. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? That's true. The Father is the executive producer. He's on the top. He's, a, he's the head honcho. He's you know, kind of you know, financing this whole thing. And the Holy Spirit is the director. He is the one that's telling us what to do and how to act and how to be and, and empowering us to be that. But the bottom line is... Jesus Christ is a superstar. It's not me. It's not you. It's him. And we need to lift up the name of Jesus. huh? But as we study the Bible, we realize, wow, it's so cool. God, I'm getting to know you. There's one God. The JWs think there's a big God and little God. That's not true. The Mormons say there's many gods that you can be a god one day. That's not true. 25% of the world believes in multiple gods. That's not true. There's one God. Very important that you believe that. But this God is revealed in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 48, 16, it says, Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. There you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the same thing in Isaiah 61, verse 1. You know, the Trinity is taught explicitly in the New Testament and implicitly, implicitly in the Old Testament. Remember in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God is having this conversation. Who's he talking to? To, to make man in, in his image and, you know, our image, our image. No, we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. We see the same thing in Isaiah 6 where the Lord says, who will go for us? What do you mean go for us? Who's God talking to? Is he talking to the angels? No, we're not going for the angels. We're going for God. There you see hints of it in the Old Testament. In the book of Proverbs, it says, what's his name and what's his son's name? Remember that? Hints of it in the Old Testament that becomes clear in the New Testament. 
You know, it's a real cool thing when you look at this. I, I, as a matter of fact, I gave you guys, if it's all right, let's pull this out real quick, an ancient diagram of the Holy Trinity. You know, and part of the reason that I'm, I'm giving you even like a piece of paper, because I don't know if I've ever done this before, giving you an eight and a half by 11, you know, is because I, I, I wanted to do it partially to protect you. Because I know the liars come. And I know even sometimes the doubts come in your own mind and you're wondering about these things, you know? And how does it work? And a lot of times there are people who understand it pretty good, but then sometimes there's a lot of people who don't, you know? And on one side you have this will of prophecy, who is God? And man, this is so powerful right here because let me share this with you real quick. In the Old Testament, you have the covenant name. It's called the Tetragrammatron. And what that is, is the, the name of God that, you know, the Jews wouldn't even say because it was so holy. I mean, you have different names, Adonai, Elohim, Elah, and then you, we're going to go over the different names of God. But when it comes to the covenant name, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, we don't even know for sure how to spell it. Uh, you'll see it in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all big caps. That's when you know they're using the covenant name. And they talk about the Lord... Uh, you know, God as, you know, the, the creator and, and the rock and the shepherd and the king. But then when you go over to the New Testament, you see Jesus is the rock, the creator, you know, the redeemer, the king. And what you find in putting everything together, it's called systematic theology. You have the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. As a matter of fact, one verse that's kind of powerful that I'll share with the uh, JW sometimes and it helps is over in Hosea chapter 13, if you want to turn there. Now, Hosea is the first minor prophet right after the book of Daniel. But you'll see this, and we read a verse out of Isaiah earlier. <clears throat> but in verse 4... It says in Hosea 13, Yet I am the Lord your God. And notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, ever since the land of Egypt. And you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. And so one of the things I'll ask the JW sometimes, they'll say, who's your Savior? You know, and, you know, if they know, they, they, they might give, you know, different answers but, you know, by looking at this verse right here, you would, they would say, well, it's got to be Jehovah God. It's got to be, you know, you know the, the top gun here because there's no other Savior besides him, right? He's the only Savior when you read this within the Scripture. It says there real, real, real easily. But if you'll notice on your wheel of prophecy right here, it says Jesus, Redeemer and Savior, Notice how many verses there are there. I mean, the Bible over and over again calls Jesus our Savior. And yet here we read in Isaiah 13, 4, we read earlier, Isaiah 43, 10, that there's only one Savior. There's no other Savior. There's no other Savior except God. And so anyways, just things to think about when you're reading the Bible. On the back of this blue sheet right here, it's the ancient diagram of the Trinity. And sometimes you need a little visual like this so that you can get a greater understanding of it. Because notice it says the Father, and if you go down, it says, is God. And the Son, you know, if you go across, it says, is God. The Spirit, it says, is God. 
But it says the son, and if you go up, is not the father. Then if he says the son, if you go down, is not the spirit. And just all the way around. I mean, all three are God. But at the same time, you need to know that they are not each other. As a matter of fact, we'll get into that later when we look at different things like Sabellianism, modalism, and Arianism. You know, it's important to know these things. Real quick, before we move on, I just want to encourage you guys to know your God. To know your God. And at the same time, don't miss the significance of the titles because they're not there, you know, for no reason. You know, the Bible says that God the Father is our Father. And what that does is it describes our relationship with Him. You know, I don't know what what your life was like growing up. You know, for some of you here, maybe you had a a great father. Um, Maybe they're not with you anymore and, and you miss them. Well, you still have your father. God the Father is your father. Some of us here didn't have a father. Some of us here didn't even know our father. You know, and sometimes it's hard to understand really what a good father is to us as children. But the more you get to know God the Father, the, the, the greater child you become. It's an amazing thing. And, and there's this, this very, very important relationship. You know, even, you know, men today, you know, we discover how important the father-child relationship is. And how in all reality, when the father and the mother are there, there's no greater influence. The, the parents. And we need to understand that we have a father. I love 1 John 3, 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You know, wow. You know, we are his children. He says, look at the love that we have. Psalm 68, 5 says he's a father to the fatherless. Psalm 89, 26 says he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Isaiah 63, verse 16, Doubtless you are our Father. You, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. You know, I don't know for sure, but I would venture to say that if my children were ever in danger, if my children were ever in a situation that they felt was over their heads, If my children were ever in any predicament that was trying to rob them of peace, I would venture to say that they would run to me as their father. Because I represent that, you know, strength. I represent that that wisdom. I represent that love. And, you know, they do it all the time. Dad, dad, dad. And I'm like, chillax, you know. You're going to live. No, I'm just joking, you know. They do it all the time. Don't As fathers, don't they just come running to you? And I think what the Lord is trying to tell us is to do the same thing. You will find that when you run to your father, that he will protect you. And he will provide for you. And he will give you the wisdom and the guidance. And he will give you everything you need in life. You know, I don't want my kids going over there. No offense, but you know, I don't care how cool their teacher is or how cool the Sunday school teacher is or, or whatever it is. You know what? I would rather them come to me because there is no one who loves them like I do. I, I'm their father. 
And that's who God is to us. Please understand, He is our Father. And then there's the Son. You know, you look at that, the Father and the Son. Now, some people wonder, well, how can Jesus be the Son? You know, did the Father go have, you know, a relationship with somebody? And then, you know, a a God was born? You know, no, that's not how it works. He's called the Son because it's always been their relationship. He's always been the Son. He's always existed because he's God. And what that does, it describes their relationship. He's always been and he's always been the son. As the son, he's submissive, subservient. And at the same time, probably most important, as the son, he is loved. He is loved by his father. For those of you who have children, you you begin to understand. You know what I'm talking about. That the love that you have for your children, oh man. I mean, there's nothing to compare it to. And that's who Jesus Christ is to the Father. You know, not only that, something to take into consideration, because I think a lot of times we don't remember this, is that we have our Father. Jesus is the Son We are children of the Father. Therefore, Jesus is our brother. He's my bro. He's my big brother, man. Don't mess with me because you know who my brother is. You know what I'm saying? And we, a lot of times, I think we forget that. But that's who the Lord is. And you begin to look at each and every person of the Godhead. And you begin to, you know, just dive into these relationships. You know, I always tell you guys, growing up, I never had a brother or sister. I didn't. And some of you here say, you're lucky. Listen, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I wish. I I wish I could go back and, you know, but what happened when my mom got in an accident? She couldn't have any children. She was pregnant at the time. She lost the baby that she had. And then so she couldn't have any more kids. And so I grew up an only child. And uh, I see my friends and they've got brothers and sisters. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had a brother like that. Sisters like that. Didn't have that, but I do now. And his name is Jesus. He's my brother. I have my father. I have my brother. Man, I'm pretty blessed. Not only do I have the father and the son, I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You ever think about his name, the Holy Spirit? You know, God's overriding attribute is holiness, and we're going to talk about that. As a spirit, he's not visible with our physical eyes, but he is always here with us, working like the wind. We can see and sense and sometimes even feel the effects of his workings, even though we can't see him. Oh, but God, I want to see you. God, I just want to see you so I could know for sure. And God, I I want to feel you so I, I can know for sure. And God says, no. I'm I'm the Holy Spirit. But even though you can't see the wind, you see the effects of the wind. You see the power of the wind. And you know that the Holy Spirit is within you when you're a Christian. And so it's important for us, you guys, to have an understanding that one God, three persons, blessed mystery, the Trinity. You know, it doesn't fit. There's no capacity. We can't comprehend it fully. But we submit 
to the revelation of God within his word. Now, real quick, you guys, I want to go over some misconceptions. Misconceptions. First of all, tritheism. Okay, the teaching that there are three gods rather than three gods within the one Godhead. Okay, we don't believe in three gods. Okay, please understand that. There is one God, three persons, united in essence and nature. Again, it goes beyond us. Another misconception is modalism, also called Sabellianism. And this is the belief that the Heavenly Father, Resurrected Son, and Holy Spirit are different modes or aspects of the one God as perceived by the believer rather than three distinct persons in God himself. You know, they kind of believe one God with three hats or he has, you know, three different uniforms or three different modes or manifestations. It'd be like me saying, well, I'm, I'm a father on, on, on Monday and then on Tuesday I'm a son and then on Wednesday I'm the Holy Spirit, you know, but I'm the same. No, that's not what the Trinity is. And that's why in the will right there we put that. We put he is God, but he's not the father, he's not the son. It's important to understand that. That was a real big issue uh, for a period of the church. In the third century, there was a priest called Sibelius but it was finally settled in the church council. The Athanasian Creed was developed in the third century. And what we see in Acts chapter 15, they followed the model. The church had their, uh, you know, I guess you could say their powwow. They talked about it and, you know, they have said, hey, we've always believed one God, three persons, and, and we will continue to believe that. You know, today, if you run across the oneness Pentecostals, they're out there, not, not real big, but they're out there. That's what they believe. The last uh, misconception is Arianism. Arianism, and these is an individual, Arius, he taught that Christ was created by the Father and there was a time when Christ did not exist. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses believe this. They believe that the Father made the Son, he made this angel, and, um, you know, then he sent him out down and killed him in the cross. Uh, but again, this is not something that we believe. As a matter of fact, it was dealt with and condemned in the first council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. As a matter of fact, they said this. They said, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and visible. In one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And later on they talk about the Spirit as well. And so we don't believe in tritheism or modalism or Arianism. We believe in the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, monotheistic, and yet understanding that there's three in one. Harmony, beautiful, blessed, mystery, trinity. Does anybody understand it? I hope not. We're not that smart. God is a different dimension. Sometimes I think about God, I'm like, wow, Lord, you're... You're pretty awesome. And then he says, yeah, take off your shoes, Manny. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. One day when we're home and we're in heaven, we're going to see things that we would never have ever thunk. You know, it's going to be so amazing. 
You know, I'll close with one story. It was about Augustine. And he was trying to, you know, figure this whole thing out. And he was scratching his head and just contemplating the doctrine of the Trinity. And one day he was walking along the beach and he saw a little boy with a bucket and he was running back and forth to pour water into the little hole. And so Augustine asked him, he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to put the ocean in the hole. (laughs) Oh, the whole ocean? Yeah, the whole ocean. And so Augustine pondered and when he thought of that, he realized that that's what he was trying to do as well as you want to get a grip on this and you know, and you want to comprehend your creator and you want to know all about your situations. I'll be honest with you, even me today as I was praying this morning, I'm thinking about the church, you know, just the church here in Almani and the things the Lord is doing and the things that are before us. And there's a part of me as a man, you know, because man like to fix things. I want to grab the bull by the horns. Have you guys ever heard that expression, you know? I want to grab the bull by the horns. And man, I'm going to make sure that everything is you know, squared away and we're doing this and we're doing that. It's kind of like you want to take control. You want to reduce the church down to a manageable size. And the Lord says, if you want to reduce the church down to a manageable size, it ain't going to be me. I'm not going to be a part of it. Because God is so big. He's so huge. He's so beyond us. And so I said, okay, Lord, (laughs) I will focus on my personal relationship with you. I will get in the word. I will pray. I will love you. I will do things as a pastor the best that I can do. But I realize, Lord, that you're bigger and that this is your church. It's not something that I can manage. And and the same is true with God. You know, when it comes to the Trinity, and, you know, we try to understand these things. And again, there are those out there who reject it because they don't understand it. It's because they're trying to, you know, teach an ant calculus, man. They're trying to put the ocean in a hole on the beach. And it's just not going to happen. We don't comprehend the revelation of three and yet one. But what we do this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is we submit to you. We submit to who you are. And we ask, Lord, that all of us here would understand the great and awesome God that you are is so much bigger than who we are. Father, I pray that awe and wonder would return to your church. Lord, I thank you so much for allowing us to stop and And to study you, Lord. You are good. You are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love. You are love on display for all to see. You are light. You are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope. You are hope. You have covered all my sin. You are God. And we worship you today, Lord. I pray, Father, that you continue to bless your people and that they would take all their problems to God, to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and that we would walk in the wisdom of your word. But I love you so much and I thank you. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, as we close today, that if there are any who are going through things that are just really 
crazy, the fire, the hard times. If there's any here today who, who maybe don't know you, Lord, as the Savior of their life, that today, even now, Father God, your Holy Spirit would work in us in such a way that you would awaken the church, awaken the Christian today to live more closely with you. And that, Lord, you would awaken even the non-Christian. And that today, Lord, you would speak salvation over their lives. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you so much. Continue the work. We know you will. That you began. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.